What will you do to unlock innovation? In today's fast-paced world, innovation might not be enough. Tomorrow's pioneers of change will need to be agile, able to adapt, and committed like never before. Your host, Santa Vending, invites you to listen in and join business leaders from around the world as they share their visions for success in our future business challenges. Welcome to Unlock Innovation. I'm your host, Sana Vinding. I'm always excited to learn. And in today's podcast, we'll talk about learning, skills, and critical thinking. I want to welcome Prime Guggenheim. He's an economist and cognitive specialist by training. He uses his many years of experience, knowledge of corporate structures, and knowledge of thinking and learning processes to advance companies in using learning and critical thinking to advance their mission and their performance. So welcome. Um, tell me about your passion about learning uh, and a little bit about yourself. Hi, Sana, and thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Um, so I think the, the passion for learning starts very early on. Um, you and me, we are both European. Um, and Europeans, as you know, they have to always deal with multi-cultures, multi-languages, multi-everything. And therefore, from very early age on, we are um, we're learning. We're learning a lot and we're learning very fast. Um, I, I, I will merge my, my private story with, uh, with my story of learning. Um, I grew up in Switzerland, so 18 years, the first 18 years of my life I was there, but then I moved to Israel. And Israel is an altogether different country, different language, different culture. Um, it's the Levant. Um, and there I was 18 years old, learning a totally new language, totally new everything. Um, uh, and then I went on to study in the United States. So again, something altogether different. And that was 30 years ago. Um, if we talk about this today, everybody's gonna say, so what? We do that all the time. <laughs> we all the time reinvent, we learn, we're, um, we're out there. We don't even have to move anymore in order to do all that stuff you did 30 years ago. We do it from our chair. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in my, work life, I combine a career in corporates that were all very different. So they were in, in, in real estate, in small consumer goods, in high-tech training, in human resources. And it was at the time something very unusual. It was what you would call a very unstructured career path. Um, but today, if you look at what people go through today, what our younger generations are going through today, millennials, Gen Zs, what our children will go through, this is exactly the type of career that they will go through. Number one, they'll go with their passion. They'll go with their interest. Um, and they will not have just one career. They will combine multiple careers in their work life. So the research today says about seven different careers in one work life where our parents had just one. And, you know, yeah. very often we know that started in one company and ended in the same company. Yeah. Um, now learning is the engine for all this. Um, learning is both fun and really, really important. And my personal interest about 10 years ago shifted to really understand that world a little better. 
Um, and it's the world of thinking and learning, um, of using our mind, um, and through that become better at mastering everything we need to master in our lives, whether it's in our work lives and the constant adaptations that become ever faster, or in our private lives too, where learning and thinking are, are really critical. Um, and add to this that this is something that sadly we don't learn in school. So um, that's what made it really interesting for me when I when I started on that journey about 10 years ago. So there we are. There we are. So, so you're already touching a little bit, there's a shift of learning, right? So in the whole, you have right now, if you went to the university, so the whole academic world, um, it's switching to, to micro-skilling um, somewhere. So that, there's a change in it um, that, that's popping up. Um, but, but what kind of innovation or what do you see that will take this, this master shift? Is it, will we still send all the kids you know, through the, the university and it will take them the four years, the six years you know, to go through and then they come out with their, their piece of paper? Or will there be another way that you actually are getting your skills and, and getting into the workforce? I don't think that it's the same for every profession and for everything we do. Um, so number one, yes, there is a trend to micro-skilling and uh, a lot of education is shifting. Um, it's shifting from the educational systems and school systems and from academic institutions to the corporates. Um, companies assume more and more of the responsibility because they have the greatest need to be very agile and very fast in adapting to the new knowledges that are created. And those new knowledges and, and, and innovation are created on the fly as people are already in the companies. So we all know, and that's common knowledge today, what many things that you learn in university by the time you exit university, what you learned in the first year is already obsolete or changed. Um, so there's the need to really go with the very, very quick innovative flow that we see, which is uh, powered by technology, which is powered by AI, um, and it's becoming faster and faster. Those of you who know Moore's law or uh, uh, you know, the, the, the equation of the deflation of, te of, of technology, which means that technology becomes cheaper as we go, not more expensive, um, yeah. because we hold ever more powerful technological devices in our hands uh, that once upon a time were very powerful and expensive. So all that on one hand makes a need for us to skill when we need it, where we need it. And that's micro-skilling. However, and that's the other side, yeah. there still are areas of knowledge and professions where really deep knowledge is going to be very important. Um, if you look at the whole areas of medicine, uh, of law, um, of architecture, of physics, and of engineering, Mm -hmm. uh, those are areas where you still need to combine a great 
a great uh, scope of knowledge together. And here is another here is another thing, and it's a great article I just read uh, I just read now about critical thinking. Um, you see, there are young students that can be better critical thinkers than a professor of physics at a or a professor of philosophy at the university. Do you know why? No. Because because they're experts in the field that they think about. So not everybody who is a great expert in one field will be a great expert or a great thinker in another field. He will have certain tools to ask questions and to deal with information, but he will not necessarily be at the same level of expertise and therefore will not have those same critical thinking skills that are honed by using a certain knowledge area. So we gotta we gotta see we gotta see both these areas. So again, there will be some fields in which we will need a very deep knowledge, and without that, we can't. There are other fields, and those are fields that are very much technology-based, innovation-based. The whole fields of, that, that that circulate around the world of business, the implementation of business, the implementation of technology. Uh, those will shift very fast. This is where we will see micro-skilling applied. This is where we will see learning needed in a, in, in a great way. So it really is both. Okay. And, the, and the last thing is, as human beings, let's not forget. Yes, there are certain things that we want when we want them, you know, as we want them, particularly when we're in a business and we need to act fast, but we're human beings. And there is something to be said about the breadth of knowledge as human beings that we want to have. Um, and you know, there will be no micro-skilling of the arts and philosophy and you know, all, all those things that still make us into human beings. And you know, we shouldn't put just put this away. No, yeah, no, no, not everything goes in one box, right? It's, that's the, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so how will a company, if they sit there and they can see they, they need to, to grow with skills or they need the learning um, and they need to implement um, if it's, it's if, I don't know if you want to call, call it a culture, but they want to implement that it, it's part of their DNA, that they keep evolving, they, they are keeping, you know, that the employees keep having um, expand on their skill set. How do you, how do you get started um, on, 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 that, on that journey, on that path? So number one, um, the evolving development of skill sets in the company are the most critical avenues a company faces. Um, because without the right skills and the right people, a company will not succeed to do what it needs to do. And therefore, it is the responsibility from the very top, from board, through CEO, through the entire C-suite, to totally embrace the fact that everybody in the company needs to be skilled needs to skill, needs to learn. Now, um, this comes with the understanding of what you learn how. Because there are things that you can learn on your own relatively easy. A lot of what we call the hard skills, you can learn there is oodles of materials out there today, whether you go to Udemy or Udacity or uh, uh, GoOne or any of the platforms or to LinkedIn Learning and 
you know, there is enormous amounts of knowledge out there that, that, that can be learned by yourself. The one thing that uh, cannot be learned by yourself is the act of learning itself. Um, and funnily enough, you know, everybody talks about this. It's become, you know, it's become common talk. Everybody yeah. talks about, um, oh yes, we need skilling, we need reskilling, we need upskilling, we need lifelong learning in the company. We all <laughs> need to be lifelong learners. And then ask them the simple question, great, I got it. Please, can you define to me what learning is? Which is something that we've been doing all along. We've been yeah. doing it all our lives. It's something that you want to really push in your organization. Okay, so let's talk about this. What is it? How does it work? Because if you don't have that basic understanding, how will anyone ever be able to do that? And how will you be able to push that process? So all that starts with one really important concept and it's the concept of awareness. Awareness and in, in, in the world of cognition, there's a word for that, it's called metacognition. Metacognition mm -hmm. is generally uh, translated a little bit shallowly, but it's translated as thinking about thinking, which yeah. means be aware of the processes that you need to do or that we all need to do in order to deal with all this enormous amounts of information that we face all the time and, and absorb it and process it and apply it and assimilate it and communicate it. Um, so there are processes along the way, but we need to be very, we need to understand them, we need to know them, we need to be aware of them. This is what is needed and what we mean by learning to learn. Um, you know, it's not about taking a, a like a, a marker and a mark up your, you know, whatever you write. That's not what it's about. It's about how this works. What goes on in our mind as we process information? How yeah. does the brain take information and process it into these very abstract things that are called thoughts? How do we juggle those thoughts? How do we juggle all that abstract stuff that's called information? Um, how can we communicate it better? Communication is hugely abstract and cognitive. And that's why uh, companies face such great issues at communicating things. Um, and innovation, which is something that I know interests you and personally very yeah. much. Innovation too is hugely abstract. Innovation too deals with um, developing information in certain ways and create new things based on existing things. How do you do that? There are processes for that. There are mental processes for that, but those need to be understood and learned. And the sad thing is that we don't learn those, not in school and not in university. We just assume that people get them somehow. Now, you know, Sana, some people do. Some people yeah. get, really, you always will have the top two, 3% that get them. But you cannot run a company just based on two or 3% of top people. And you cannot base, you cannot improve an economy based on two or 3% of the people. You need to have, this needs to trickle down in a big way. 
And I'm not just talking about the people who develop, I'm talking about the people who implement. I'm talking about those people that needed to shift in the beginning of COVID from being people at cashier tills in malls and you know stuffing shelves to now working fully computerized, um, highly process-oriented environments in Walmart and Amazon. Mm -hmm. That's a massive shift. And again, people need to be able to embrace that. And they can do that if they understand processes better. And for that, they need to be really aware of what the processes are. If you can teach that, you can really teach people to learn, to think, to function better. Yeah. So I've, I've seen where you, you, if you walk through a process and saying, let's map it, right? If you're in the company and you map it, then there's, there's, there's a group of people that say they, 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 they're fast at it. But there's also the group of people that says they're zooming out because it's not just what this little box is, right? There's triggers that comes in when you look at full organizations. So you need the bigger picture to be able to, to either improve it, that, that process. Um, so, so where, how do you get, how do you get, and maybe it's communication and training, but how do you get a group in, uh, how do you get in the company to, to, to zoom out and see that's a bigger picture, right? It's not just that little silo that you're sitting in. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, there, there are a few questions that I think come with it. Again, we start about awareness. Okay, the awareness of who you are in the puzzle, where you are in the puzzle, the more you understand where you are, the more valuable you will be to the whole picture. That's number one. Um, number two, let's go into like what you said, you know, there are those top people and they, you know, like they, they move and they see the entire picture and they're really good at charting the way. And then there are all these other people that have to tag along. Mm -hmm. Now, here is something that needs to drastically change in company culture, in organizational culture. Um, and that is the, you know what? Let's take the example of the school, because as I said, companies today have to assume to a large extent, you know, that position of I'm training you. So I'm skilling you because you don't come with the skills that I expect you to come from school. But what do we see in school? You see those two, three percent of kids and they just fly. They don't need any help. They're just good. They're leaders, they're thought leaders or they're correct character leaders, all good. And then you have like five or 10% of kids that are at the bottom of the, you know, on the other side of the curve and they're really slow and they're really slow at the whole process down. And that's why they get a lot of attention. And then you have a very big middle band of about 85% in the middle. And those yeah. are the kids that fly below the radar. They are like the B kids, as, they, as you call them, you know, the B minus, they're like, mm -hmm. you know, they're okay. They're, they're fine, but they're not great. And those kids are not being shifted. And what happens there? What, what's the problem there? The problem is that very often those kids um, are not interested, not excited by what goes on. Sometimes they don't quite understand what goes on because again, they too don't see the bigger picture. And here is what's needed from anyone who wants to teach something to someone else, whether it's a parent, whether it's 
a manager to his team, whether it's a teacher to his students. There are a few parameters that are really needed if you want to effect change in the human being. Um, and one of them is what we call um, the mediation of meaning. So mediation of meaning means why is what we do important? If I don't understand why I should learn math, why should I learn it? I'm never gonna be a mathematician, I won't. So why should I learn math? Why should I learn biology? I'm not gonna be a biologist. Why is this important for me? Okay, and the same in a company. If, 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 I'm, if, if I'm expected to learn something new or if I'm expected to do something, why is it important to us? If I understand what's in it for me and what's in it for everything around me, then I will buy in. Otherwise, I will not buy in. So this is like one thing that's important. There are a few other aspects that are, that are important. Like, for example, who is taking the responsibility for this to happen? You know, in school or in uni, when in university, you have like the lecturer, he's in the lecture hall, he teaches, he lectures at you. Who is responsible for the, teach, for the learning? The students, they sit there, you know, poor guys, they're being talked at and they need to write it down and they need to understand it. And then they need to regurgitate it afterwards. They need to feed it back and it's all their responsibility. When you really want to affect change, both as a parent, but also as a manager, the responsibility is yours. And you have to assume that responsibility and you have to make sure that what you want to happen actually does arrive with whoever you teach it to. That's a paradigm shift. Yeah. And when you take those things and you put them together, and there are a few more aspects, when you put those together, then you will find engagement. Then you will find those people that say, ah, he really, he really wants me to be able to do this. And he really, you know, and, and he's really there with me in this. And he even explains to me why this is important. Okay, good, I got this, I'm with it. And there comes motivation, okay? Because for some people motivation is through the paycheck, through the bonus, through the whatever. Yeah. But for many, many people not. We know those people in the workplace. Okay, they come, they do their job, they go. Yeah. But we know that motivation is the engine of everything. It's the engine of our learning and it's the engine of our performance. So in order to get people motivated, I need to do with them those things. I need to assume responsibility for them. I need to tell them what it is we're doing, what it, what it is I'm doing, and I need to tell them why we're doing it. And then there is one more thing I need to give them and that is the feeling of competence. Not competence, the feeling of competence. And that's often, very often missing. Do you notice people stand out like, they, uh, um, you know, you say, wow, that's really well done. And say, nah, that was just by chance. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that wasn't really, you know, thought, <laughs> what do you mean by chance? Who bloody did this? You did this. It doesn't, that's not chance. That's the difference between, um, you know, the ability to do something and the feeling to be able to do that. The more you can give, your teams, your company, the feeling for ability, the more motivated they'll be. That's a really, that's a very important bit. So that takes me to the next one, because how do you measure in a company that you are moving, right? You are growing with skill set and learning 
and if you can call it, you can say it's the learning is the fuel for innovation. Um, how do you how do you go in and measure it? And can you measure it? You can measure skill sets, but it is a very rigorous process. Now, I want to tell you something. Almost half of the companies have no idea what skill sets they have in the company. So think about it. It's like you run like a mini market and you don't know what's on your shelves. <laughs> yeah, not... It's really, it's like operating. You're making me nervous here. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. It's so it's 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 scary, but it's true. Yeah. So first, they don't know really what they have, and there is a lot of work going into this. There's a lot of companies offering a lot of services for that, but in order to to measure that, <clears throat> you need to measure rigorously, and there are ways there are ways of measuring this. Now, a company is interested in the end in making money, or if it's in the in the impact field. In making and creating impact. That's what a company wants to do, and that's what a company will and should measure. But here's the deal, Sana. You know, this to measure this kind of stuff takes time. To see the impact somebody has on a bottom line, on his performance, and an end is a longer-term process. And that, that is being measured already. So how do you measure skill sets? Now here is uh, sorry, I'm I'm gonna scare you even more. Oh no. Um, <laughs> you know. I'm just giving you, I'm giving you a few figures and they speak for themselves. Um, worldwide, we invest every year $240 billion in training in the corporate space. $240 billion is, that's a quarter trillion dollars. That's a bloody lot of money. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now here is the other side of it. That's a um, research that just came out by Gartner. Only 20% of people admit that they actually use and implement yeah. what they learned in the workplace. You know, how many people do we know? Like, you know, we, we're being sent for a training. We're going for a training. We learned something. It was cool. It was fun. I was inspired. Yeah. Now I'm going back to my desk. And what happens? Oh, a lot of emails. Back to no change. Yeah. So, only 20% of people implement means 80% of people do not implement what they are learning in and training. So the first thing, which is absolutely critical, because I just want to tell you what is, you know how much 80% of 240 billion dollars is? A lot of okay. money. A lot of money. It's almost 200 yeah. billion dollars. A lot of money and a lot of effort that is just yeah. wasted. That goes yeah. beside the point. So the first thing that we need to measure are two things, and they can be measured. And that's something we developed is, hey, do you understand what you've been taught? Not can you repeat it in a test? Everybody tests. Yeah. Yeah. Do you actually understand and can I measure that? That's number one. Number two, are you actually implementing? Are you using this? Yeah. And that is, and that is very, that's much harder because now, it, if those two things don't happen, if you don't understand, and if you don't implement, then whatever you'd like to measure is not going to happen. Yeah. Afterwards, you can. There are a lot of things that you can measure. You can measure, you know, you can measure productivity, and and um, um, you can measure a turnover of people or horizontal shifting in a company. Um, you know, 
there there's so many things that you can measure. Yeah. Um, but in order to do that, rigorous measurement means, and that's always the problem that everybody needs to be on board with measuring before and after, not just after. So, yeah, yeah you need to know if you're moving the target, yeah. right? Yeah, but my main point is like you have to, before you measure the actual long-term impact, please measure whether a person is actually getting what they're studying or learning, yeah. or they're actually implementing it. Number one, then measure the impact. I like, it's funny now that when you explain it and I reflect as, cause we had a new tool we implemented in, in where I work and nobody took real ownership of it. Um, and I was saying, oh, you know, you need to use it. You need to, you, this is like the process. And, and it was more than one way. I, I can totally see <laughs> I jump in and did things wrong, but I changed. So in a few months ago, I said, let's meet 20 minutes cross-functional team where we teach each other saying, what did I learn this week, the last week? We meet every week. What did I learn that I need to share with the rest of the team because this tool is amazing and now I learned I can do this. Or what should we change so the tool will be, or the change in the process so the tool will be easier to use. So because we now meet every week for 20 minutes, sometimes we only use 10 minutes, sometimes we use 30 minutes, um, sometimes we cancel the meeting, but, but we have this sequence where we meet we and we, share what we have learned uh, we are we are getting better and better and more efficient efficient of using the tool so just just reflecting on what you're saying of, of instead of just doing the one way right and then people walk away and then they won't implement it they won't use it here we are not forcing but we are together around the tool of using it in the company and that has been um, a success for, for, for us to do it that to do it that way um, totally. And what you do is what you do is you reflect on your learning. And again, that is the metacognition. That is the awareness of, okay, I'm not just doing it, but what is it exactly we have been doing? Yeah. And what have we learned from it? And you know, what's really important always is we always learn from our mistakes and everybody knows that yeah. and everybody can. Can we please also learn from our successes? Because, yeah. you know, our if our organizations are still around, that means that we are make, we're having more successes than failures on the whole. So yeah. there should be a lot more to be learned from our successes than just from our failures. Yeah. When you do post-mortems, we should do it across the board, but it has to be company culture. Again, the whole, the whole, this whole idea of looking at it and seeing what it is we learned, yeah. And, so and, now you're saying, you know, learn from your mistakes. Just, I just want to ask you about this one because you also meet the people in the organization or in the world that will not admit that they did a mistake. They'll blame somebody else on it or they'll blame to say, hey, then something's wrong with the process. How do you, <laughs> how do you tackle this kind of, of DNA? Um, Look, this culture comes from a culture. It's a culture that says we must not fail. We only reward the guys who succeed. And they say, um, you know, it's a very evolu evolutionary thing. It's like, you know, when I make a mistake, I'm dead in evolution. You know, like the, 
the animal that made a mistake is dead. The predator killed it. So what we, what we need to change with that is that mistakes can be made um, unless they are so big or so critical that they will collapse the entire system. And there are very few mistakes like that, believe me. Yeah. So because we operate in large structures, all of us, we can actually afford as a structure, as an organization, as a company, we can afford mistakes. So it's not anymore that we are on our own, okay, like the animal that's alone. And when the animal made a mistake, okay, there is the snake, there is the lion, and you're gone. No, that doesn't yeah. exist anymore. Now. <laughs> now. But here is the thing. So this is a mindset that needs to be communicated very clearly. But what needs to what needs to come with this is mistakes are a reason for learning. And that's why we will celebrate our first mistake. Not our second, third, fourth, fifth mistake of the same kind same kind yeah same okay kind. <laughs> of the same kind i'm talking about you know yeah. like in, yeah, one, no. in one subject yeah. area and one person but i yeah. say again I, I you know yesterday i had a friend over like we have friends over and their son is just qualified as a pilot in the israeli air force those yeah. are the biggest alpha animals you will ever see okay they're up in the air and they cannot for one split second let go. Yeah. And he, we spoke about them making mistakes. Okay. And, and you know what the mindset is? Their mindset is we want to be better than what's expected from us. Their instructors know that those are pilot cadets. They know that they will not succeed the first time around. But in their mind of the cadets, they say, no, no, no. We actually, you know, like we can get this right and we want to get this right the first time. Yeah. But there is this discrepancy of the instructors and that's in the company, that's the leaders, the managers, the, you know, and the executive who will understand that a person cannot, any person cannot be expected to get it right the first time around. That's the mindset. Now, when you do that, you start actually celebrating mistakes. And you can do that in, in, in team meetings. You can say, you know, the same way you say in a meeting, what have you learned this week about the new system? Okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody has to say, I want to share with you one mistake and the learning from that mistake. Okay. And you celebrate it. In other words, you meaning from top down, the team leader yeah. celebrates. The, and you don't celebrate the mistake that costs the most money but the yeah. mistake that led to the biggest learning. Yeah. Okay. And, and so you, through that, and you can, you can actually celebrate that with prizes, with, uh, you know, like with awards, with anything. But again, you have to understand what the angle is. The angle is not, oh, I'm celebrating a mistake because, you know, oh, great, we lost $500,000. Oh, great, we lost a client. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm no. celebrating a mistake that led to the biggest learning. Now the second, third, fourth time, the same mistake occurs with the same person, different story. Yeah, okay, that's, uh, <laughs> then you need a new plan. <laughs> um, okay, so what about 
because now we're, we're celebrating. This is um, another one I, I have. Do you, I've seen that you go and celebrate that somebody did something good where I'm like, yeah, they did. If you look at the job description, they did what we asked, we hired them to do. So it's a little bit of a, for me, it's a little bit of a flat celebration where you're saying here, right? To say, if you go in and look at where we failed, um, maybe it, I want to move it to, so you celebrate the failures and the learnings to say, hey, we took it, this was not working. And now we, we, we created a visa process or the awareness. Uh, now we created it, this, and now it's, it's, it's working. Um, but I've seen difficulty how you go in and celebrating in a team to say, because it's always cross-functional. I think it's not just one person who did it. It's a cross-functional team in, in many of the areas when you look in a company, it, it takes a cross-functional team to, to, to be better. So the, how, do you, how do you go in and say, we should not celebrate that single person we should not celebrate that this person is actually doing their job. We need to go in and, and celebrate where we can see that we're we are taking the company from one level and we're we're stepping up and we're getting better. We're we're improving. How do you how do you go in and 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 explain or get the full understanding that that's that that's what we're celebrating? I worked for a very competitive company. And at the end of the year, always there was like, a, you know, took the first yeah, well. quarter of next year, it was a celebration of, you know, like who was the best performing uh, department, yeah. the best performing person, the best performing salesman, and an end, who was the greatest leader. Um, and by the same way, you have to have the team that came up with the best learning curve and implemented it as a team. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's something to celebrate because here you institutionalize the learning and you say, okay, great. You know, like something, things happened. COVID is full of these examples. Mm -hmm. What have we done? We lost opportunities. We lost team members. We lost uh, customers. We lost, every, you know, like, okay, what did we do? How did we quickest come up with processes, okay, in order to, change this for ourselves. But, and here's the important thing about the learning. You know, why is this whole awareness bit so important? Because there are many people who are actually not bad at doing it, but they're hopeless at telling what they did. And the problem with that is exactly in what you say, when you're either a leadership in a leadership function or in a team, and you want to teach others how to do this, unless it's very clear in your mind what it is, and unless you have full awareness of the process that you have done, you can't teach it to others. And then it's lost on you, then it's just you. And also, if ever circumstances change and become more complex or more abstract or more difficult, whatever you're doing because you're just doing it, yeah. unless you have it spelt out in your mind, you may not be able to adapt it to those changed circumstances. And then it gets stuck. And that's why it's so important to, to say, okay, you know, something happened with me or as a team, we've changed it, we're spelling it out. We want to say that we are fully understanding 
what this is. And I remember, like we spoke about understanding the last time we spoke, what understanding, mm -hmm. okay? It means, you know, like, okay, we're able to connect things. We are able to connect the dots differently now because of what has happened. And look, we're gonna show you, we're gonna show you how we connected the dots before, if at all. And we're going to show you afterwards how we're connecting the dots now. What additional information came in and what it did to our way of framing this, understanding this, meaning connecting the dots differently. When you do that, everybody becomes a teacher. And that's what you want in the organization. You want, if you want to organization to become a learning organization, what everybody talks about, yeah. at the same point, it has to become a teaching organization. The manager is not anymore an instructor. The manager is a coach. The manager is that teacher, he is that mediator, okay? So he needs to do all those things that we said before that we expect from parents to do, from teachers to do, we want managers to do, but we also want teams to do. We want people in teams to do that. That's how, how leadership is crystallized, by the ability to formulate and teach and pass it on. And then you can go in and celebrate when you when you have that kind of team. When you have when when you have that, the, when you have yeah. that, you can actually rock. Yeah. You know that, that then you have learning ability in the organization. Yeah. Wow, this is going to reflect for days. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. So <laughs> no, it's really great. I, I really love this. Um, so talking about you. So in terms of learning and creativity, what, what's the most important thing you're doing in your space right now? Um, so right now, um, a lot of the stuff we've spoken about I and mean, a lot of the stuff that I, I have learned over the last, certainly like 25 years of my career, but also 10 years of starting to deal with cognition, um, I'm now formulating and I'm learning a lot of it along the way about you know how this stuff a, where it applies, where it applies in companies, how important it is for corporates to embrace this. Um, what needs to be taught? So when you talk about creativity, yeah? Yeah. You know, do you know the creative people? Yeah. And you say, and you say, you know, okay, he's a creative guy. It means he was born creative. But you know, what I learned is that creativity is cognitive. Creativity is something that comes from here. Creativity has a lot of stuff. What, what's creativity? Creativity is the ability to address a problem in novel ways or to develop something new. Yeah. Okay. Now, in order to do that, there, everything that goes with it is cognitive because it's all about dealing with tons of information that you either already possess, new information that comes your way, that changes something with you, the understanding of you know, the curiosity that comes with it, the ability to ask questions, the, the, uh, the understanding of, oh, there is a problem here, meaning a problem doesn't need to be a problem. A problem can mean it's, oh, it's not optimal. It could work better. Now listen to the word, it could. It could automatically is 
um, hypothetical thinking. Could it be different? Could we do something differently? Could there be a different reason? That's hypothetical yeah. thinking. And then you say, it could. Okay, so hypothetical thinking is cognitive too. Trend recognition is cognitive too. And all that together cre makes creativity. So it's not just the people who like, they comment, oh, I'm Picasso, <laughs> you know, I can <laughs> or I'm Newton. <laughs> Believe me that Newton was a superbly cognitive guy because he took all these things and, you know, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously did this. I had an, I have to, I have to share this with you. That's a great story. I had a yeah. conversation with a senior vice president of Cisco. Um, and she told me about her, her, her problems of recruiting certain types of people that she needed for organizational change. And she said, I'm looking for people that are Renaissance. That's what her words. I need people that are so wide and that I can embrace so many things. And I can talk to, to, to you know, the developers and to the marketeers and to the business people and to the salespeople. And they understand everybody. They can take it in. And, and she said, you know, she told me, said, I went and I read Leonardo da Vinci's um, biography, the biography written about Leonardo, because there was no greater Renaissance person than Leonardo. And she said, and I was so disheartened because in, their, in, that, in that biography, they, they say that Leonardo was Leonardo. He was a product of his time, of his family, of his upbringing. So he said, so if you're just a product of that, how can you ever become like that? And I told her, you're right. We all are products of our surroundings, but you're not right in one thing. You know, Leonardo da Vinci did everything. He was an inventor and an artist and a businessman and an astronomer and a philosopher. But one thing he didn't do, you know what? He didn't create another Leonardo. And there was nobody in the world who knew better what it takes to become Leonardo da Vinci than he himself. But he didn't write a manual to say, this is what I do. This is how I approach things. This is how I solve problems. This is how I invent. And therefore it got lost on, on the rest of the world. But that's exactly it. We can do that. So the same with creativity. And by the way, the same with innovation. Mm -hmm. When we master those traits, when we master those processes, those thought processes, when we understand what's in our mind, and that's really what I'm doing now. If you ask me, you know, like what I'm yeah. doing, it's, crystallizing this, defining it, and then passing it on for others to learn it. Because yeah. it can be learned. So you can make these other Leonardo's, you can make these thinkers, you can make these learners. And it's not all that hard, by the way. It's, you know. No. It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Last question here. So what would you tell crime 20 years ago? Or 10, you can say 10 or 20. <laughs> I tell myself, um, you know, you thought that you just mastered something. <laughs> the most exciting ride is just, is only to come. You have no idea about the amount of knowledge and inf innovation and creativity and new stuff that you are going to learn in the next decade. And um, I would have started learning earlier. 
I have to tell you, I would have started applying that, applying myself to that probably earlier. Um, I'm happy it happened, you know, over the last decade, but um, I really would have, I really would have then said, you know, actually really figure this learning bit out now because it is the engine to everything that human beings do. So go and figure it out now and, you know, cut 10 years out and get it done. So probably that's what I would tell myself 10 years ago. Yeah. But you learned a lot in the 10 years, which is where you are now, right? So that's also... Well, thank God. Anyway. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> it's an exciting ride. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really enjoy speaking with you. And it's so great just, you know, to have somebody where you have the same interest. In, in learning and it's so great to hear from you how how to explain it and understand it because in my brain right now is connecting like oh my god that's what I'm doing there oh my god I should do better there so it's it's really been joyful to talk to you today thank you and thanks for having me Sona it's been a real pleasure if you enjoyed this podcast and if you like to hear more please subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts until then stay curious and keep learning 